The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Our scripture today will be John 11, verses 28 to 44. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary, rose quickly and went out, went and and quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. The sister, of, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with the linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. cloth, Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Thank you, Victor. Thank you, guys. You guys can have a seat. There's certain stories in my life, every time I hear them, I can't help but be moved, moved to tears. I think we all have those individual stories in our life that personal favorites of ours that maybe because we've experienced something, maybe because we've gone through something that when we hear them, it just brings us back to those difficult emotions. There's one such story that every time I hear it, I end up crying. And the first time I heard it, it was in a very unlikely spot. I was, I was listening to a podcast, and I just turned it on, and they were interviewing this guy. And he was, a, he was a, um, a pilot in the Air Force. And as I'm walking my dog in the middle of the afternoon, I'm weeping, which is not the time to be crying while walking your dog. And the story is a story of an A-10 pilot who was flying, which is an aircraft, who was flying in Afghanistan, in 2008, and he uh, made a very heroic move. 
it was a group of special forces soldiers that were pinned down in a, in a valley and Afghanistan is known for its mountains. And so the mountain ranges obviously come, it, it, it takes effect when you're flying. And under, under all of the um, circumstances with the mountains and the low clouds and where these guys were, everything, uh, if this pilot was gonna fly by the book, he said, well, you can't do anything, you can't save these guys. Well, over the, his headset, he keeps hearing their cries for help and saying, if I, we don't get air support here, we're not gonna make it out alive. His pilot, a pilot by the name of Brigham General Michael Dowley, uh, also known as Johnny Bravo, uh, knows what the book says he's supposed to do. And though he, though he is in charge of this air wing, he says, um, I'm gonna break the rules. And he uh, made uh, several heroic passes to save these guys on the ground. You can go look up the story. He tells it in a much uh, greater way than I just did. But every single time I hear the story, I'm moved to tears. I've heard it three times, and, and, and it, I've questioned, like, why is it that this story causes so much emotion to well up inside of me? In fact, I asked some friends, sent them the story and go, why, why do you think this one particular story? Because I've never been in the military, I've never flown aircraft, I've never been shot at. I mean, there's so many things that are, that are disconnected from my own realities. Like, why this particular story? I mean, I have heard so many combat stories in general that don't draw me to yours. Why is it this one? And as we were discussing it and really considering why this particular story, what came back in our discussion was because I kind of relate to the characters that are involved in this story, to the fears, to the emotions, to the actions that take place. When I, when I hear this story, it resonates with me because I can place myself in various characters of this thing. Here's where I bring that up. Today, if we hear this story fully, dare I say correctly, rightly, I think we have to resonate with it enough that we will be brought to tears. Now, I know that's a weighty thing to say at the beginning of a sermon, and it's heading at an emotion and not at an action. But this story, Jesus with Lazarus, is one that if, you, if we it's not that we have to, we are seen inside the story. It, this resonates with all of us because what he did with Lazarus and what we will see with the interaction that he has with Mary and the power that we see out of this miracle is such that at the end of this, I think you're gonna be like me, at the end of this week studying this, we're gonna step back and go, wow, Lord, thank you for what you've done in him and thank you for what you've done in me. As we jump back into the story, we looked at the first half last week, and what we saw last week was that this is a story among friends, that this is a story of loved ones, that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We said last week that Jesus is changing, or John rather, is changing focuses with Jesus, relieving the, the public ministry of Jesus and going to the private ministry of Jesus. And the first instance that we see from this private ministry of Jesus is his friends who have called out to him, Lord, my brother is sick, and if you don't come here, he is going to die. And, 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 and we looked at the fact that he, he heard this and, and he received it. And like in verse four, he says, this illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. And we walked through this scene and we, and we came to Jesus standing outside of Bethany, and we saw Jesus' interaction with Martha. Well, today, as we pick up on this story, we get to see an, a similar devotion that Martha had for Jesus and Mary, but I, I dare say we're going to see a deeper and more natural response 
and interaction with Jesus than what we got to see even last week with Martha. Through this miracle, we see a clear picture of how Jesus interacts with this broken world, how Jesus interacts with sin. But along with that, and I say this is where it's hit me this week, we get to see how he interacts with us, his children, as we interact with this broken world. So as we're jumping into this, we're met first in this section with Mary being called. Martha heard that Jesus was coming and she left this morning party. As we said, we left uh, Mary and, and Martha in this morning party where after, after Lazarus had died, the custom of the day was to have uh, friends and, and neighbors and family members come in and mourn for the, the, uh, the dead person. So in, in fact, it was even customary that even if you were the poorest among them, you would have to hire three people. You'd have to hire two flute players to sit and play funeral dirges, and you would have to hire a professional wailing woman. Can you imagine this? Every single funeral, you would have a woman there that was wailing. And that was on the poor side, and, and these people weren't poor. So the, uh, the, we can assume there's going to be many wailing women. And I, I say that to just, in, in your own minds, I try to, fig, try to hear the commotion that's going on in their home. I mean, there are people that, can you imagine having this job, being the wailing woman? I don't know, I, I'm like, can you imagine growing up, like growing up in here like you are going to be a fantastic wailing woman? Like I don't know what character qualities are there, but having these women who are willing to just cry on end and wail and mourn over this lost person and express the, these deep emotions. Well, Martha, as we said last week, heard that Jesus was coming and she quietly snuck away. And she came to Jesus. And her question to Jesus was very simple, as we said in, this, in, this, in her devotion to Jesus. If you were here, he would not have died. Well, now after Jesus and Martha have their discussion, we see that Martha sent for Mary. Verse 28, when she said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private. This is her sneaking back into the, I would say party, it's not a party. Sneaking back in, into the commotion and saying, Mary, Come here, I have something to say. She goes, the teacher's here. Jesus is here. He's outside. Now, they, I am sure, have been waiting for Jesus to come, wondering when is he going to show up? There's this trust in their own mind. The thing that's missing from this difficult situation is where is Jesus? We're gonna get into this more in, in a bit, but suddenly she gets to come in and go, Jesus arrived. So what does Mary do? Well, when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. I mean, Martha snuck out of the commotion and allowed it to, to continue. Mary hears it and it's like everything else shuts off in her brain. She goes, he is? And she now breaks all social cues and goes, okay, who cares about the wailing woman? I'm going to him. Well, the crowd thinking is like, oh, Mary's moving. Martha's moving. Okay, we're, we're moving this commotion of wailing they think she's going to the tomb says when she heard it she rose quickly and went to him now jesus had not this is verse 30 now jesus had not been in the village but was still in the place where martha had met him outside the village and when the jews who were with her in the her and in, in her house wow i don't know where that word came from in her house consoling her saw mary rise quickly and go out they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there i mean this was customary in their mind that when somebody were to die that they would just move this um, this sorrowful procession around. Let's go to the tomb to pray. Let's go to your house to pray. Let's go to your favorite places to, to pray and to mourn and to weep and to grieve over the fact that this loved one has been lost. 
And they thought, oh, well, Mary must just be going to the tomb. So clearly, Jesus is in that direction. Well, we see that Mary brings the mourning to Jesus. Brings the commotion to Jesus. Imagine Jesus sitting there quietly outside of Bethany. Birds chirping, sun is shining. Obviously, you just had a very difficult discussion with Martha, but then starts to hear in the distance the wailing, the woman, who let's just assume is really good at her job at this moment. And as he gets closer and closer, she, they, Jesus sees Mary at the front of this, running, if you will, to Jesus, knowing this is the person that I want to be. And when she comes up to Jesus, now Jesus is sucked into this commotion, into this morning. As we see this scene unfold, the emotion of the day and the emotion, I know I keep referencing this wailing woman, can't be lost. What's interesting about Christians and emotions is that we don't know really what to do with emotions. We don't really like to think that when we approach God, it's, we approach him in an emotional way. In fact, we try to tamp down those emotions. We think even at times if, if we're going to pray to the Lord, we have to get our emotions under control to make sure that we approach him in a reverent and I would say godly manner. When we come to him, we think that we have to come to him in, in, in the right way, using the right words, using the right emotions. But what we see from this story is that the emotions were high. In fact, what we see from this story is that we probably would not have the same boldness to approach Jesus in the way that Mary is about to approach Jesus. Because look at what she says. 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Just think about that statement for a minute. Lord, if you would have not been here, my brother would not have died. Every single commentary that I've read, every single one of them, references the fact that there's a little bit of a rebuke in this statement. Like, she has the audacity to back up and go, Jesus, you missed it. Jesus, where were you at, dude? Jesus, the unthinkable happened and you weren't supposed to let the unthinkable happen. She walks in and she's almost like saying, Lord, you're too late, dude. Did you get stuck behind a slow donkey? Did you not get our message? Why did you wait two days before coming? You should have been here. Just think about the, the conversations that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were having when Lazarus was sick. As I said last week, I'm, I'm sure that they tried all of the common um, remedies. They went to the drugstore and they bought all of the stuff. They, they went through all of, all of their normal uh, human um, healing practices. Here's the Tylenol. Here's the Vicks Vapor Rub. Here's the, I don't know what it is. Take this, eat this, do this, drink this. And they got to this point, they went, nothing is working. And they thought to themselves, the person that we need right now is Jesus. And the reason that the three of them thought that is because they had seen Jesus work. They had seen Jesus heal blind men. They, they had seen the fact that Jesus, there is no match to his power, his power that, that he can do the, um, un, the unthinkable. He saved others, and I'm sure they're saying, surely he's going to save Lazarus. 
Because he, when he saves others, he didn't even know them. He didn't know their names. He didn't know their families. He didn't eat in their house. These are just women that were walking down the street, touching the fringe of his, of his cloak and healing her from her discharge after years. These are the people that you just walk by and a blind man has been sitting by a gate for 20 years, hasn't messed with them. No, Lazarus is different. Lazarus is loved by Jesus. Lazarus has been, Jesus has been in his home. They've had conversations. They have helped. They've packed food. They, they've been a part of this journey. So they're thinking, of course, Jesus is going to heal Lazarus. He heals his friends. We love him. He's going to come and save me. And then he dies. And Mary and Martha come to Jesus and they look at Jesus. They go, you missed it. You said you loved us. And you let this happen. Why am I emphasizing these emotions? Because I don't think we let ourselves get there with God. I know we all have those moments in our life where we want to look at Jesus and say, you missed it. You should have been here. You're too late. I thought that wasn't going to happen, and then you let it happen. Now, Martha is, is, is reverent. I mean, she, she fell on her face, but it's still this, Lord, you are too late. How could you let this happen? This is, again, an aside from this story, but I think it, it's, it's relevant here. You know that God can handle your emotions? You know, when, when, when Martha has this, whether it is a rebuke or not, I don't know, or Mary, rather, you know God can handle that? God can handle you coming in and going, how long, O Lord? He can handle you saying, it shouldn't be this way. He can handle you coming in and, and maybe not speaking the most reverent words to him because he can handle that. But in the church and in our Christian lives, I feel like at, at times we have to, to, to stamp down our own disappointments because we think that, well, we, we're not being a good Christian then if we're honest with God. But he can handle our disappointments. And even greater, he doesn't reject us when we voice them. In fact... What we can see when he, when he does receive them is he receives them and can sit in that pain with us because that's what he does. Mary responds, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I hate to say it, but this, the, the English translation of this verse has been tamed down over time. I think it's been tamed down because, again, we don't know how to handle emotions when it comes to Jesus. The ESV says he was deeply moved in his spirit. Other translations say that he's deep, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was even deeply troubled. D.A. Carson translates this verse in this way. He was outraged in spirit and troubled. You see where what's been tamed down is this idea of what does deeply moved mean? What, what does this word deeply moved mean? It, it's, a, it, it, it's a verb in the Greek and, and, and in extra biblical writings, the way that this verb is used is to describe like a horse stomping in anger, snorting. 
I mean, think about an animal, a fierce animal that is in front of you that clearly is at the end of its rope and he wants to do something about it. There is a deep irritation here. That's what it means when he's deeply moved. There's this deep irritation, which I, I think, again, points to the fact that when, when we picture Jesus, we can think of him in this stoic personality. He's walking around on a cloud, always always just having all things put together, always having, uh, you know, he has self-control, but, but, but always having just his emotions just even-keeled. And when we think about the, our life in Christ, we have to think about our emotions even-keeled. Yet we see here he is, he is irritated. It's like this irritation. I cannot believe that this is happening. But what's the irritation? The irritation is not Mary's question. He's not irritated with Mary. He's not looking at all of this and, and is saying, uh, well, I'm deeply moved in my spirit and greatly troubled because you had the audacity to rebuke me or you had the audacity to be frustrated with me. No, that's not what he's irritated over. He's irritated over the presence of weeping and mourning. You see, Jesus is looking around at the pain and the sorrow that's before him. And he knows that it shouldn't be that way. He, he, he knows this is not how the world was created to be. He knows that death was not in the original plan. And what's his response? Weeping. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. One of the most profound verses in the Bible. Jesus steps into our misery and pain, into our emotion, into our disappointments, and doesn't say, it'll be okay. I mean, it, it will be. Doesn't say, get over it. Doesn't say, you know, that's not the half of it. He weeps with us. He weeps with it because this is not how it's supposed to be. Jesus is the only person outside of Adam and, of Adam and Eve who, know, who knows the joy that would be on earth if there was no sin. Imagine that. We are used to sin. We expect death. I mean, I have to look at my, I have to, I have to look at my girls and go, one day, unfortunately, I will leave them here on this earth. We expect death, cycles of life. So we hear the wailing woman and we go, we hate that, but they have a for sure job. It's 100% chance everyone's gonna die. But when Jesus sees that, he goes, that's not how it's supposed to be. I was having a conversation this week with a church member over lunch. We are talking about, we were considering how we would be without sin what our personalities would be like, what our drives would be like, what we would want to do in life, how, what, the world, what the world would look like if, if, if Ryan existed without sin. I, I don't know what that would be. I don't know what parts of me is, is good necessarily and what parts of me is bad, what, what, what scars I have because of my sin, what scars I have of other people's sin. Like, what would I be like without sin? What would you be like without sin? What, what this world would, would be like without sin? But I know the first thing, the wailing woman would be out of a job. We would not be next to a tomb saying it should not be this way. 
that we wouldn't be brought to tears because another death has occurred. And Jesus knows that. And in the midst of the commotion that has been brought to him from Mary coming to him with the wailing woman, what he does before he does anything else is he stops and he weeps. Remember where we started this story. Verse 4. The moment he heard that Lazarus was ill, he goes, yeah, I know, but the illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Think about how easy it could have been for him to be so callous to walk in and go, guys, guys, hang on, hold on. Hey, here's a glass of water, wailing woman. You can just take a break. I, I'm here now. It'll be okay. Hey, you're overreacting, Mary and Martha. It's not that bad. Don't you trust me? I'm actually gonna. He could have easily just jumped over all that, but he first goes, let me sit with you in that grief for a moment which is why he's our perfect high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And what is our confession? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He sat at the edge of tombs with us and wept with us. He saw the disaster that this world is and did not just roll his eyes at it and be indifferent to it, but wept with us. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses, but his tears are far deeper than anything that we can muster as humans. You see, these tears of Jesus is him feeling the weight of the fall. He looks at this death and goes, this is a violation. This is a disintegration of the things the way that they were meant to be. Here's what one commentator said. He goes, these holy tears are those of the creator grieving over the forfeiture of beauty through the intrusion of sin and death. And he's like, I can't believe it's gotten this far. But these tears did not lead to despair. The Jews saw these tears and said in verse 36, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? I mean, they're back, they're right back there asking the same reasonable question as Mary and Martha. He did all these other things. I see the amount of grief he did. You know, it'd be very easy to save this. But Jesus acts. 38. Then Jesus moved again, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave and the stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. <laughs> and now you can see Jesus is, is, is acting, he's, he's moving, he's, he's, he's making declarations here, and Mary and Martha and all of their trust in him, and they do. Martha's like, hey, hold up. That's gonna smell real bad. It's been four days. And we see the four days here because there is no doubt in their mind that he is long dead and gone. And I think this points to the fact that it demonstrates that no one can look at the story and go, well, he was mostly dead. Well, he was in a coma. Well, it was just a, a hoax. There's actually something we said there where um, in, in, this, in this time period, you would sit with a body for three days. And the reason that you would sit with a body for three days is because if the body had not revived after three days, it was assumed to be dead. But there's a chance within that three-day period that, no, they're just in a coma. They actually are going to um, 
be revived in, in spirit, but it's been four days. There's been no water, there's been no food, there's been no movement. He's been, he has been wrapped in cloth, and they laid him in this tomb. And Jesus now looks at Mary and Martha and says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, I love now how Lazarus is starting to be uh, described. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there's an odor. For he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? That if you believed you would that if you believed you would see the glory of God, he's going all the way back to what he has said from the very beginning. He died so that we can see the glory of God. Martha, trust me, you will see the glory of God. Mary, trust me, you will see the glory of God. Here at the very end, he goes, Did I not tell you that if you believed you'd see the glory of God? And what's in the middle of verse 40 and 41 is the unspoken. Clearly, Mary and Martha went, Oh yeah. Why did I doubt? Do as he says. He says, take away the stone. My mind says it's going to stink. My mind says this is hopeless. My mind says he was too late. But take away the stone. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on the count of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. This is the first recorded prayer that we have of Jesus in the Gospel of John. We're going to have a second one in John 17. But I love what this prayer reveals about the nature of God and the communication that Jesus has with God. This prayer wasn't for God. This prayer wasn't for Jesus. This prayer was for us and for those standing around the tomb. Jesus is saying declarative statements. I know that you hear me. I know the plan here. I know what's about to happen. I know that, this is, that I'm not too late because this is in your perfect plan. And I'm saying these things out loud so that they can finally believe and know that I am from the Father, that I and the Father are one. I mean, think about all of the, the, uh, the, the moments that Jesus has been, has been put on trial from the Religious leaders questioning, who are you? Are you actually the Messiah? Are you connected with God? And here Jesus clearly demonstrates and says, uh, we've been communicating about this. We have a plan. I'm not too late. I'm right on time. And so as it, as it continues, and when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. You know, it says that God created the world by the, his word, by the word of his voice, by the word of his mouth, by speaking it. How do you think that sounded? How do you think it sounded on six days when God said, make light and darkness, make dry land and sea, make birds of every kind, make plants, make animals, make man? How do you think that sounded? I don't know. I don't exactly know the tone. I don't, I, I don't know the, 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 how loud it was. But I think it had the exact same emphasis that Jesus has here because it's the exact same power, because it's the exact same person that once again, by the word of his mouth, 
he commands, and there is absolutely no question that Lazarus has to uh, obey. Lazarus, come out. You hear that? And you have people in the back, and he goes, what did he say? I don't think it's going to work. I put him in there. He's dead. People who are mo moving the stone thinking, this is going to smell. Jesus, I, maybe you got to, I don't know, put something on his eyes. Maybe you could be like the apostles, lay on him, like one of the prophets did. Maybe you breathe into him. Maybe, I, what? By his word? And then you start to hear the commotion inside the tomb. Because a man who had been bound tightly for burial is fighting to come out and is shuffling, maybe even falling on his face. Like, I, I don't know how much humor is here. Obviously, it's shock because you have Lazarus and you're like, what the? And he's over there going, excuse me, help, because you're bound tightly with these strips of cloth. And Jesus goes, unbind him and let him go. Because, as 44 says, the man who had died came out. The power of Christ's word is on full display here. The word that created the heavens and the earth, the world that commands the wind and the waves, the, 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 the same word that healed the blind man raised this dead man to life. That word is, in, is still working, is still powerful, is still acting in our lives today. The word that we look at and go, I, 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 I just want to experience what Lazarus got to experience. If you're in Christ, you have. Know how Ephesians, Paul describes us prior to conversion? Dead in our trespasses and sins wrapped up like a mummy laying in a grave and we were happy to be there and we could do nothing about it. And yet God, by the word, by the power of the word, calls us back to spiritual life, declares us in the same declarative tone and the loud voice of Lazarus comes out, declares us alive, declares us New creations, declares us righteous, declares us made new. You know, when I said that, I, I think back to that fighter pilot, and I go, hmm, man, I resonate with this story. Doesn't even compare to how it resonates with this story, because we're in this story. Because when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he proved it, earthly speaking, with Lazarus. But guess what happened to Lazarus? He died again and he was laid in the tomb again and he wasn't raised back from the grave four days later but guess what happens with all of us that when we are made alive in our spirit though our bodies die because our flesh is still sinful our spirit is alive to god to never die again when we can, can stand here and, and say, like Mary and Martha, Lord, you're too late. Lord, I don't like this. Lord, I'm dealing with things that are painful to me. We get to say, 
But Lord, you made me new. Lord, you saved my soul. Lord, you raised me from the grave. Just in closing, think about where this book is pointing us to. Why John wrote this book in particular, put these stories in uniquely. It's because he wants the readers of this book, he wants his friends to meet the best person that they that they possibly can, that is Jesus. John is saying, I, I walked with a man, I served a man, I was, I was a disciple of a man that changed my life. Imagine how the disciples walked next to Jesus after seeing Lazarus raised from the grave. The power, the trust, the confidence. Imagine the emotions that Mary and Martha went through. They still could have those moments of, why did you have us go through those painful moments? Like, it, this, this does not take away the pain, the tears. They still had to pay the wailing woman what the wailing woman was owned for the commotion of, of this funeral ceremony. And yet in the end, I wonder if they stepped back and went, the pain was real, but it was worth it. We do, can do that with Christ. Look back and go, the pain was real. But in the end, knowing that Christ is our Savior, knowing that our eyes have been opened, knowing that we are, are freed from this, from this body, the bondage of death that, is, that is, 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 has a hold on us, knowing that our eyes have been opened to the realities of the gospel, we can look at it and go, oh, okay, Lord, I might not understand everything, but I know that you're good. For the sake of time, I was going to go there, but I just think of Job. Similar instance who we get to see his emotions truly declared to the Lord. It's Job 38. Why, Lord? After living through all this garbage, why, Lord? And how does the Lord answer him? It's simple. Were you there when I used the word of my mouth to make the winds and the waves? Were you there when I set the earth on its four corners? Were you there? When I did all of these things, were you there? And it goes on for chapter after chapter after chapter. And how does, what does Job do at the end of 41? I can envision him like folding up his complaint letter, putting it down and going, oh, got it. You are God, and I'm not. And you have been far more gracious to me than I ever realized. That's what we get with Lazarus. We see the Lord... We see the Lord's emotions, we see the Lord's love, we see, we, we see the Lord's power, and we see the fact that the Lord is unwilling to leave us in our sin. As we transition to communion this morning, you know, obviously the other side of this is that Jesus entered the grave for us. And he entered the grave for us by taking on the wrath of God that God has for our sin as a substitute. And as we take the Lord's table today, as we do every week here, we remember the blessing and the hope and the gift that that is. That we can sit here today, maybe experiencing that emotion of why did you have me go through this? And yet we can look to the Lord and go, but everything that is required of me, you have done. And everything that I could not do, you have given me. Not because of my own works, not because of my own accomplishments, but because of Christ. 
If you're here today and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, maybe this is the first time that um, you've heard this story and, 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 and wrestling with how, what does it look like to be saved? What is the gospel actually, actually what is the gospel? Is it, and I, I declare to you that it's by grace through faith and this is all new realities. I would ask that you let this table pass you by because we don't want it to confuse you. We never take of this table as an act of uh, work, as an act of filling us up. We take it as an act of worship to set our minds outside of our own hands and our own bodies and set them back upon Christ. That our only hope, hear this with Lazarus in mind, our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. We can take the table together. Lord, thank you that you loved us and sent your son. Thank you that you loved us and did not leave us in our despicableness. Lord, thank you that we, like Martha, can, can come to you in our brokenness and weariness and say it's too late. You weren't there. You didn't accomplish the thing that I thought you were going to accomplish in the way that I thought you were going to accomplish it. Lord, thank you that you will receive those cries of desperation and that you will uh, not turn your back on us, that you will not reject us, that even, even in our brokenness, even as we're walking in the already not yet, even as we're both saints and sinners, you will love us by remaining faithful to your promises. Lord, thank you that you gave us what we could never earn ourselves and thank you that we today can stand here with the knowledge and the hope and the declaration knowing that you have made all things new. Just bless us now in your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.